You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back, everyone, to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 19 called PLCs versus PLNs, Teacher Conventions versus EdCamps in Education Statistics. In this episode, we'll compare professional learning communities to professional learning networks. We'll evaluate teacher conventions versus EdCamps, followed by a close look at some interesting education statistics. As always, we'll close with another Tech Battle Royale on Chrome extensions. Hey, Nick. How you doing? Guys, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Hey, uh, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream every single day. Take it for what it's worth. But uh, I will say this. Uh, we're approaching episode 20. Only episode 19, but we're approaching 20. It's a pretty big milestone. It's crazy. Yeah, I can't believe we made it this far and actually have uh, been able to release an episode every two weeks. For all. I know it's uh, we're just uh, shy of a year. I mean, in a couple months, it'll be a year of these things. So it's pretty exciting. I mean, think about we sat down and did this podcast for the first couple of times to fit grad course requirements. Right. So that's pretty amazing in itself. And then we just kept going. Anyway, let's uh, start today's episode with talking about professional learning communities versus professional learning networks. Right. It's a little bit confusing maybe for people because they sound pretty similar. And if you didn't have the exact details on each of the acronyms and exactly what the differences are, it would be a little bit confusing. And I know we've both had experiences with both of these things, both recently and over time. So I think it's going to make for a pretty interesting uh, discussion. I thought it might be good to start off just with actually defining what each of, the, what each of these things are. Um, I think most teachers probably know PLC by now, right? Isn't that like a pretty common... Yeah, it's pretty common practice across the United States. I mean, professional learning communities are typically, they happen inside of your school right. during contractual time, even though I've heard of people that do their professional learning committees outside of their contractual time. But it's a way to get together with people with common interests and a common goal and a common focus yep. and try to make their practice better so we enhance student learning. I'm just looking at edglossary.org, which defines it pretty much the same way you just did. It's a group of educators that meets regularly, sharing their expertise, working collaboratively to improve teaching skills and academic performance of students, which is just another way to say exactly what you just said. Um, I know our school's been implementing PLCs where you're assigned sometimes or you choose sometimes a group of people you want to work with and choose some goals for the year. Uh, there's all kinds of different details out there, like those goals should be measurable. So whatever you're doing within the PLC, there you have to be able to collect some kind of data on that to say if you've achieved it or not. Uh, should all, of course, be focused on student learning. And it's just, uh, it's been a big push for uh, probably the last decade in schools, but for us here at our building, maybe just more the past five years, I would Smart say. Smart goals. Smart goals. Everything's about smart goals. And, I, you know, what got me on this topic was I don't get as much out of my professional learning community as what I would hope. And it has nothing to do with the school. 
Nope. They have been more than um, generous with the extra time that we get in our school. And it really has nothing to do with the teachers inside of that group either. I think it's it's me. It's not you. It's me. I just feel like every time we meet, it's either after school or when things are just so frantic around here. And I'm always distracted during these meetings. It's true. I, d- I don't know what it is, but I have exactly the same feeling. And I, I guess it's because the PLC meetings typically happen during the school day. Uh, yeah, it always feels like there's a hundred other things I need to be doing right now. So to step away from that, like um, maybe I've got to prep for my next class and make some copies. My head's not really in the game sitting with this group of people all the time um, talking about our whatever our goals are for the year in the midst of so much other daily action and daily things to achieve. So I kind of agree with you there. So why do we bring this topic up today? Last week, I was at what I consider part of my PLN, my professional learning network. And uh, I was at a meeting. Um, at the NJETC, uh, which you could look up on Twitter at hashtag NJETC, and you can see some of the things that we're up to. It's a bunch of ed tech coaches that get together. We share ideas. We identify problems. We come up with solutions for everybody. But the big thing that I took away is we're always sharing. I feel the difference between one of the differences between my PLC and PLN is that in the PLN, we share. In the PLC, we try to make up stuff that we all can use, and then at the end, we might get to a little bit of sharing, but I need more sharing. Christopher Walken needs more cowbell. I need more sharing because I get motivated by other people when they share stuff. So your your ed tech coach group would count then as not a professional learning community. That officially falls within... A professional learning network. I call it part of my professional learning network because most of these people I met on Twitter first. Right. And I interact with them on Twitter. So to me, that's part of my PLN. Now, if I was working with these guys through the whole smart goal process or having a clear focus, I would call them also my PLC. Right. But typically, PLCs, in my opinion, are localized. They're within your school or within your district where you can commonly meet. However, I have seen some PLCs that call, or some groups that call themselves PLCs and they do everything online, which is totally cool. But the key there is they have one common goal or one common focus. They're working on a project to implement. My professional learning network, we're there. We're sharing multiple ideas, we're sharing methods of best practice, we're coming up with these tough solutions to tough problems and i just get so motivated by these guys our last meeting was at west windsor plainsboro north and it was ran by uh the fine ed tech coaches at west windsor plainsboro north and i'll put all their uh twitters in the show notes but i have a great time it's twice a year and i learn more there than i learn anywhere else it's true there is something different about interacting with your PLN, which by the way, mostly that network largely does exist or is largely developed online for most teachers who are involved with it that way these days through Twitter, social media, social media, and whatever you do, but it doesn't have to be. A lot of these relationships turn into real life meetings like you were just talking about with the other tech coaches where, yeah, maybe we connected on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but then you actually start to get together with these sessions. Uh, You're talking about things you want to talk about, sharing ideas on a wide variety of problems that are happening now in your classroom. You can bring up uh, issues you're having currently and it just, I don't know, there's something that's definitely a little more, I don't know, energizing about it. 
I like to think about it as with the PLN, I'm engaging with what I need to and what I want to when I want to. It's not, okay, it's, you know, second session on a B day. That's when I have to go meet with my PLC. Then it almost becomes like a chore. With the PLN, we're, if ever, if all those people are following each other on Twitter or on Instagram, you know, it's, you know, 8.30 at night when I go home, that's when I log on. That's when I've got some downtime. That's when I'm not stressed and thinking about what I have to do in the next hour. Then I can flip through, see what people are sharing on certain hashtags, see what the other people in my PLN have done this week that they're excited about, cool articles they found, cool research. If I'm not into it, I flip past. If it sounds like something I'm interested in, I click on it. And there's just something uh, for me personally that I just get a lot more out of that because you end up just getting excited about stuff, which is which is half the battle because then you actually want to incorporate it. You bring it to your classroom. If it's great, you share that. If it's not great, you share that too. And it just kind of adds to the, uh, to the whole experience. I got to mention something that I really enjoyed in this last uh, Ed Coach's uh, meeting. And that was just the gallery walk at the end. Uh, I know We need to start using practices uh, in our professional developments that we consider best practices in, in our classrooms with our students. And I have no clue why we haven't done this in our professional developments. Last like 20 minutes of the professional development, open up your laptop to a project that you're proud of that you're doing in your class and allow people to walk around the room. This is what we did at the uh, NJETC, and there's post-it notes next to each one of the laptops. And if you had an interest in that project and you wanted to know more, you dropped your email there. Obviously, if you're within your school district, you would probably just put your name. Then at the end of that, what you could do is you can meet with people, all right? Maybe it's an email. You email the person that you're talking with or that it's interesting in your topic, and then you meet with them and you kind of give more detail about it. Or maybe you provide them a link that they could go and kind of check it out and ask questions. But I, I feel like these methods of best practice and the sharing of ideas are what gets me motivated. That what That's what makes me want to go out and try new things. And because I see that other teachers are doing it or other tech coaches are doing it, I know it could be done. Right. And that in itself is very motivating and inspiring. Yeah. Well, it's all, it's coming straight from the source and it's, it's, the stuff you're seeing there on, on the social media, it's stuff that happened like that day, and it's just, it, it feels more real. And it, yeah, it is more exciting because it's stuff that you're actually interested in. I think we should also be clear that for sure, PLCs have been and are, and are very effective. I know when they started uh, pushing PLCs at our school, we get all kinds of stories about schools that run really effectively with PLCs and the teachers really embrace the whole thing. So I don't think either of, either of us is saying, that a PLC is a bad thing. I think maybe just more personal opinion, we have found, um, you know, the online development of a PLN and the interaction in those ways to be, I don't even know if more beneficials is the proper word, but just a little more exciting and more the kind of thing we're interested in. I think it's more available. When I go and look at social media, I'm usually doing that when I'm relaxing. Oh, that's a cool idea. Okay, I'll jot it down or maybe I'll, you know, save this tweet or whatever it is, this message, and I'll come back to it later and, and see if I want to follow up on it. Where professional uh, learning communities, PLCs, are scheduled for us right. at a time that may or may not be hectic or yeah. convenient. Yep. And so, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think PLCs are 
terrible. No, they're not bad at all. They're great, and they can be super effective. But I would like to see them revisioned a little bit. I'm not saying that you can't have a goal. I'm not saying that you can't have a smart goal, but I, I just think that you should be working towards a project, and it should be more often and more frequent. And I guess that could be part of, you know, your norms and your vision for your own personal plc but sure i've only been a part of ones that have been like all year long you're working towards the same project right and i i just think that maybe you know we can organize it a little bit different so there's more sharing involved i think that would also help out with the plc i just feel like the plcs are lacking sharing and that motivation that comes with sharing and that inspiration that comes with sharing. I'll throw one more example out of a PLN just on the spirit of sharing, like you were just saying last year, just through, tw- I think it was Twitter, um, another teacher in Pennsylvania, just within a couple hours of us, his name's Chris Cantwell, uh, saw some stuff that I had put out there, got a hold of me, we connected with, with each other, now we're part of each other's PLN, it's just that easy. Um, I found out just through interacting with uh, Chris that he has his own educational podcast. He actually asked if I would come on and, and do like an interview just to kind of talk about some of my opinions, some of the exciting stuff that I'm doing in my class. So I get to share, like you were just saying, some of my stuff with him. Pretty soon, Chris is going to return the favor, hopefully, and be on our podcast as well. I mean, it's just that slow build of connecting with these people that you have common interests and, and now all the time, I, you know, Chris is posting stuff constantly. I'm listening to his podcast. It's great, which, by the way, it's called um, Edu Cantwell. We're also going to put the link to his podcast page in our show notes if anybody wants to check it out. It's a really cool, fully interview-based podcast. Where he's, all, he's very energetic, too. He's an energetic guy. And he, uh, yeah, it's if, just to get a chance to listen to not only him, but he brings on a different educator each time. Point being, it's just exciting to interact and build these relationships with people, and it exposes you to so much stuff that it is, uh, it's been really great for us. And this is a person that you would probably never meet in real life if it wasn't oh, through yeah. this avenue, which makes it really cool. Yeah, there'd be no way. So, uh, shout out to Chris Cantwell and his podcast at Edu Cantwell on Twitter. So last week, Nick and I went to the New Jersey Science Teachers Convention, and uh, we presented uh, one session. Uh, Originally, I thought it was going to be two, but one session um, on just a technology throwdown. We were trying to get some extensions, some applications out to teachers that will help them stay organized and also help with science. So some of them were science-based, some of them were, you know, just productivity and just getting organized. Sure. And... uh, the second session that I was supposed to be involved with uh, got moved to Wednesday. As I said earlier, I was at the NJETC. But we do have some things that we took away from the Science Teachers Convention. It's true, yeah. I mean, uh, all these experiences, uh, you know, whatever convention or whatever kind of professional development you're going to, it's always exciting and invigorating in some way. Um, we've been going to the te- this particular science, New Jersey Science Teachers Convention for Uh, for me, close to a decade, probably longer for you. And it's always cool. The thing with teacher conventions that I think at least I noticed this time and uh, talking to a a couple other people who attended also, it's just starting to feel a little bit commercial. I feel like everyone's constantly just trying to sell me something, sell me whatever their product is, which can be awesome. We saw some really cool products. I know uh, we, we stopped in, one of the booths was like a 
a virtual reality. What, what's the headset called that they were using? Is it the Oculus? Is that the, the thing? The Oculus, yes. Yeah, there's a whole company now that uses the Oculus, which is a VR headset, and you're in these crazy worlds looking around, and there's a clicker, and you can, like, and the way you answer questions is almost feels like you have, like, a little trigger you pull, and you answer the questions, and look around in this whole 3D space. Super cool, but even in that, I mean, you're talking about thousands of dollars to purchase this thing. And I just felt like everywhere we turned, it was more of that. Even the sessions you could walk into, a lot of it was pushing a product, which again, can be super great. If you're in, if you're an educator in the market for a particular thing, you want to go to one of these sessions and check it out, see, you know, see what it's like, which is maybe what you're interested in. But kind of building off our first segment even a little bit, I think a lot of times what I'd be more interested in seeing is just more of like a, a sharing of best practices what are you let's bring some actual teachers in to talk about some of the exciting stuff they're doing i don't know how you felt about that but that was sort of my takeaway yeah i i agree with you i i do know that there were a bunch of people trying to sell their new microscopes their new vr ar reality you know type gadgets and gizmos and uh i i agree with you i mean i did see some in the pro in the program yeah. of teachers sharing best practices. But I also know that 13 years ago when I first went, I felt like I was learning things left and right from other teachers. Yeah, And I do think that that was not as represented this year. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form knocking the science convention at all. We had, I had a great time. I, I want to go back next year. I thought it was really great. It's just the one little detail. Yeah, and you know what? That that also could be put on teachers in our in our crazy schedules and trying to present is very, very difficult. But I would definitely encourage more people to sign up for these conventions and just share what they know. Is there perhaps a better way? I know we've attended some other things that don't technically classify as conventions. Yes, like ed camps. And uh, soon there'll be an ed camp in New Jersey. And we're going to throw out the date, which is November 17th. And it's called Ed Camp New Jersey and Ed Camp NJ. Uh, if you go on the Twitter, I know it's on there. And there's a sign up form for any educator wanting to go. And it's free, which is very cool. And they uh, now came out with some cool swag that you could purchase uh, that has NJ or Ed Camp NJ on it. And, uh, Basically, this year they're trying something new. They're going to have it in two different places at once. They're going to have it in New Brunswick, and they're going to have it at Egg Harbor. And what is really, really cool about this is I heard that they're going to have some collaborative sessions. Like, it's almost like you're going to be in two spots at once or get the benefit of both locations at once. Oh, nice. So if you're interested in EdCamp, go to www.edcampnewjersey.com all spelled out, .net, and that will be in the show notes as well. So how is an ed camp, how does it take off during the day? All these educators, you go there, uh, you post some ideas up on a board of something that you have to share, and then basically they give you a space to share these things, and people that are interested come find you and you know, kind of sit down and hear what you have to say. I think what's cool about it is that the ed camps actually describe themselves because really the ed camp it's just it's a convention but it's it's a tweaked one it's different they use the word unconference to describe what it is because it's supposed to be yeah this teaching conference but it does it in such a different way with such a heavy focus on uh i mean i i found the last one we went to i found it to be really fast paced and full 
just teachers sharing uh, whatever they do and whatever they're into, but like the best of that. Yeah, and I, I kind of compare this to the gallery walk with the open laptops, Yeah, except the person staying put um, or going to a spot and staying put and presenting what they know. And I'm, I'm really excited for this one on the 17th. So if you have nothing going on or if you have something going on that isn't as cool as Ed Camp, New Jersey, I would strongly suggest going out and definitely signing up for this because it's going to be a good time. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at We Got Teched. So one of my favorite segments that we do every once in a while is called Two Truths and a Lie, where I come up with uh, different articles, educational articles, usually based on some kind of current research that's happening either in the educational world or the tech world, or really whatever I find. And it's always one of my favorites because, as I've explained in those segments, Geist has a very bizarre ability to be able to tell when something is true or not true. And it's always hilarious to me because he has all these crazy reasons that he thinks these things are true or not true. It's, it's, a, it's always a good time. So we're going to sort of do a spin on that this time, where instead of me finding articles, uh, research-based articles, I instead just found some statistics. Now, the difference is all these are true according to the sources where I've located them. Guys has not heard these before, but I'm going to read him these stats. And I chose them because I thought they were interesting. And he's going to talk about what he thinks the cause of these things might be. And I'll pipe in with my two cents as well. Does that make sense to you over there? Yeah, that works for me. I mean, I just want everyone to know that I do not look at these statistics beforehand. I do not look at the articles beforehand because part of the fun of it is for me to be real and to kind of just come up with uh, whatever ludicrous reasoning I can come <laughs> right, up with. Right. So <clears throat> you don't get to truly flex your gift of telling when something is true or not, but at least we get your raw thoughts on this. So let's start with uh, the first uh, educational stat that I found, which says colleges claim. So I'm assuming this is like uh, research or university-based research research, colleges claim a typical student attention span is 15 minutes long, 10 to 15 minutes long, actually. That is a crazy short amount of time. What are your thoughts on this, sir? I have so many thoughts on this. I always, when I used to flip the classroom, my rule to myself was, and someone told me this along the way, it's, it's not something that I came up with, but one minute per grade. So if you have a first grader, it shouldn't be long, the video shouldn't be longer than a minute. Right. If you have a 12th grader, it shouldn't be longer than 12 minutes. If it is, you should break them up into shorter spans. When I think about this whole topic of student attention, it makes me wonder if these longer block scheduling days are worse for our students just because of that whole thing with the attention span. But as I think about it deeper, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, this is why we chunk things. This is why we block things within our block. This is why we try to get act different activities during that, that lesson or that learning activity. For example, you might do the traditional lecture for 10 to 12 minutes. Right. And then after that, they're moving around and working on activity. And then after that, you bring them back. And maybe they do a think, pair, share or something like that. And then they debrief to the whole class. So really, there's four different 12-minute chunks in there. And I feel like that is doable. So no matter, there's a big debate out there whether block scheduling is better or the shortened periods where you have like nine periods in a day. Right. If that's better. I really don't 
think either one is bad or either one is exceptionally good. I think as long as you chunk it, the attention span will be there. As long as you get students moving and working in different parts of the room and getting them doing different activities. Anyone's going to fall asleep if you're lecturing for 53 minutes or yeah. whatever the block is. No, that's brutal. I wondered, I do wonder with this, has it always, has a, you know, your typical student attention span, has it always been 15 minutes or is that like a new thing? Is that something that's changing? That's that's a great question. I, I bet it's probably changing. Probably. And I have a feeling all the technological tools and games and things like that may or may not hinder the process. Right. A lot of kids are multitasking now. Yes. They're able to do work while listening to the music or do work while watching TV. And uh, they're able to do multiple things at one time, maybe have five different windows up at once and kind of jump back and forth. I think uh, anyone would get bored if you would just sit down for hours on end right, and work on something. So I haven't heard that like sports are having a hard time because people, less and less people are sitting down to watch like a three hour football game because they lose interest. They start flipping through their phones you lose track of the game and you end up just watching something else. Football and baseball, I think, are having the hardest time with that stuff. Well, here's the thing. Why do you think the red zone, NFL red zone, is so popular? Right. Or uh, there's the equivalent for Major League Baseball where it jumps back and forth between all the different games to show you the highlights. Why do you think those channels are successful? Why do you think cable companies can charge extra money for these people to add this package onto their regular cable bill? Yeah. It's because it gets them what I call the goods and they're in chunks. So if you're watching the same game for three hours, yeah, it could be boring at times. Yep. Whereas if you're just watching all the action, I mean, that's pretty interesting. I could sit down and watch football on the red zone for the whole seven hours on a Sunday and not blink an eye or bat a... Right. Bat an eye, blink an eye. Yeah, whatever. What is it? What is the... Uh, I think it's bat an eye, but we get the point. Yeah, there you go. It's kind of funny that the red zone stuff too, it's almost it's almost the same, similar formatting to a lot of the tech lessons too. Like if you talk about a choice board or uh, test teach using blend space where there's different chunked out things, none of them takes that long in particular. It's really all just playing into this attention span stuff. Yeah, so I mean, if you do teach in that block scheduling, just uh, come up with three, four, five, six, seven, eight different opportunities. I know it's going to be a bear to plan the first time, but once you have it, you have it. Or take it back to your PLC, someone that you're working with in your department, and uh, split up the work and come together and collaborate and make something really cool. All right, here's uh, educational statistic number two. Uh, on children and smartphones, it says over half the children under the age of 12 have a smartphone with 21% under the age of eight using smartphones. What is your take on that? Wow. That's crazy. There's I, yeah, I mean, two in there. there. There are two. And, you know, I can understand a 12-year-old having a smartphone. I'm trying to think what, what a 12-year-old, like what grade a 12-year-old is. I guess it's middle school, maybe 8th, 7th, 8th grade. The weird part is it says under the age of 12, though. I get it once you hit that middle school. But, man, under the age of 12 and 21%. So one in five kids under the age of 8 using smartphones. Using, I get that. I mean, I have a 3-year-old, and we play educational games on there. For about 25 minutes a night. Right. Where he clicks on different shapes or different numbers or, you know, traces a letter on my phone. 
and he laughs about it, has a good time, and I sit down there with him, and we do it, and I understand that. However, I think it's absolutely absurd for an eight-year-old to have their own phone, and I think anyone under the age of middle school, I think that might be a, a little young. Right. I mean, I, I get that we're going in that direction, and I understand that maybe these these kids use, you know, Chromebooks, laptops, and iPads at home, but... I, I don't know if I would let my kids uh, actually have their own. One, because if they're anything like I was when I was growing up, yeah. I'd be buying a new phone or a new computer like every two days because <laughs> either I broke it because I did something stupid or I lost it because I did something stupid. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I don't, I don't have kids, so I don't know what it's like, obviously, but I feel like there's kind of a place for it, but sort of in the way that you just described, like sort of set out an amount of time, whatever the parents feel is appropriate, whether that's 20 minutes, depending on how old they are, or you get it, in a, get it for an hour a day. Because uh, I think definitely you want to make sure that it doesn't, the tech doesn't take over their life and become all they want to do. Well, what's kind of cool about this statistic is you brought it into one of the biggest uh, misconceptions when it comes to school that, you know, with the integration of one-to-one, Every kid is on their device right, all day long, and then they go home and do homework on the device all night long. When the, the reality is, out of a eight-period day, I mean, how many periods do they really use the Chromebook? That definitely, at least for me, probably they're on it less than they are doing other stuff, like working with an actual actual lab equipment. Uh, just today, I had one, two classes actually were working with a project where they had to use an app on their phones. But even that, they weren't on the phone. You know what I mean? They're doing other stuff. They're cutting out paper shapes to take pictures of. The actual contact time with the tech was actually pretty low. So I think it's, that's important to stress. And we do that from time to time, even though we do talk about all the exciting ed tech that's out there. It always deserves mentioning that it's not always a replacement that actually is beneficial for learning. And if it's not, I think it's always been our position. Don't use it. Yeah, my my position, and I'll stay firm on this, is if it's not going to enhance the letter, lesson, make it better for the students, or add something that, you know, they couldn't get without that piece of technology, if it's just equally as good or not as good, I would stick with a more traditional way of approaching it. If it's going to enhance the lesson, definitely use tech. If we can bring these real-world problems and enhance them through technology, I'm all about that. Here's our, uh, our final statistic for the segment. It says 8 million students. This is in the United States. 8 million students missed more than three weeks of school during the 2015-2016 school year, which I know is a couple years back. It's just the most recent stat I could find on the issue. But 8 million students missed more than three weeks during that school year, which was an increase from 6.8 million students the previous year, the focus being on increased absenteeism among students. I mean, once again, when I hear that stat, you said 8 million. Right. Missed three weeks of school? Yeah, more, three weeks or more is what they based it on. So I could provide many different reasons or many different variables that gets thrown into this. Or The first thing that I think of is the complexity of our student schedule. Um, so, I mean, you take the average student, they probably wake up, they go to school, uh, they have some type of extracurricular till say, 4 or 5 o'clock. You know, I'm just going average here. Yeah, sure, sure. They go home, maybe they eat, maybe they have another activity that they have to go to, they come back. 
they have to do some homework they get to sleep you know if they didn't do anything else other than that activity eat dinner and do a little homework they're getting to sleep maybe 10 o'clock and then they're waking up the next morning probably around six and doing it again now that's assuming that they would go to bed then and they would wake up at six that would give them eight hours that would be okay but let's get realistic here it's not happening that way no it's not happening that way Kids are going to bed later, and they're getting up at the same time. They're not getting as much sleep. Therefore, you know, they'll probably get sick more often. They're probably more anxious because they're not getting enough sleep, and they can't focus as well. But then we also have the medical reason. We are becoming more advanced in medicine. We're learning more about different, uh, you know, maybe cognitive and psychological conditions. So, I mean, that has to play a part of it if you look at other statistics uh we're more medicated we keep getting more and more medicated the u.s is the most medicated country in the entire world right yeah I've heard and it's not even thing. close it's like three times more than the next uh yeah. country or something like that so i mean when you put all those factors in and there's more i mean when i was in high school there's one or two ap courses available for us now there's couple dozen oh my god yeah there's tons i mean kids are just hyper involved not only at school with the coursework but uh when they go home too and actually this kind of as you were talking it made me think of we recently got some training at a faculty meeting on the and this is just high school but the circadian rhythm like the natural sleep awake cycle of a teenager does not jive at all with how early we make these kids get up for high school and i know there's lots of reasons that it has to be done this way, whether it's after school activities and sports, that's why we start and end so early. But that just doesn't work. High school kids' brains aren't shutting down at 10 o'clock when they should be to get those eight hours. So a lot of this isn't even under their control. It's just the nature of, of that period in their lives. Yeah, so I mean, we have a lot of different factors that could play into this one. I, I just think is the student schedule becomes more um, impact, more dense, right. a lot more things going on. They're taking more APs or honor courses. I, I just think that it it's naturally what happens. At some point in time, your body is going to say enough is enough, and you'll get sick or you'll get so tired and you'll have trouble functioning and you know things like that. And, uh, you know, I was just uh, in a uh, Twitter chat. And it was about homework. There's a lot of people out there that have the position that homework is not a great thing. It doesn't level out the playing field. It makes the gap even further apart. And, uh, you know, that could go into it, too. If we give them less homework or no homework, maybe we can see some of these numbers drop. Right. Because if they know that they have to work hard during the day to get their education, then maybe, just maybe, uh, they'll spend more time doing things that... It's going to allow them to decompress and kind of throw the edge off a little bit. That could be. So that's uh, Geis's take on these three interesting topics. I think the cool part is as a teacher, it's just worth considering all those, whether it's attention span and whether that's increasing or decreasing, the use of technology being too much or too little, or just kind of thinking about some of the uh, the outside lives that our students have. There's definitely a benefit to considering all these points. It's time for the Chick Battle Royale! 
That's right. It's time for the Tech Battle Royale. This is where Nick and I go mano y mano, one-on-one. The Tick versus the Talk, the Big Jim versus the Slim Jim. And I'm about ready to take it down to Chinatown. Here's some of the categories we look at for each of our Tech Battle Royales. Things like productivity, video slash screencasting, learning management systems, history, fun and games, Google add-ons or extensions, and so many more. Let's uh, let's start by spinning the wheel to see what we're going to talk about today. You got it. Give me that topic, Nick. This is going to be really good because we just did an entire presentation where we both argued about nine of these things. So I know both of us have lots of good things to say. What I'm talking about, of course, are Google Chrome extensions. These are things that you can add off of the Google Chrome store. They incorporate with your Google Chrome browser and just allow you to do all kinds of really cool stuff. So do you have something, uh, an extension you want to try and argue me with here today? So I was wondering if you wanted to narrow down the category or are we just exploring the space here? I guess we're going to keep it broad. I mean, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't know how it's going to fit in with anything you want to do because can we keep it open to just any extension or do you want to narrow all right it down? so we're going to explore the space here all right it's going to be crazy all right. um, i'm gonna well, i don't know who talks first this time uh you know i i know i won the last time so True. uh yep. you know i'll go first uh just in case you want to decide to pick my one extension out of the plethora of ones that are on the uh, chrome store all right fair enough give it a sh- what uh what do you got all right so mine is called dark docs it's relatively new all right, and uh, just so everyone knows out there, when the students' Chromebooks are malfunctioning or they always tell me it's broken, uh, they always come to me and eight out of ten times it's because they forgot to charge their Chromebook the night before. <laughs> yeah, of course. So this one will actually help extend the life of your battery. It's called Dark Docs, and basically what it does is instead of having the white bright light on your Chromebook, it kind of inverts what you see so the whole page is black and only the white is the typing or, or the whatever you type within that google doc so what is the text how do you see the text if it's all black no the text is all white oh, the text and the, the background so you flip-flop it usually the google doc is white and then you type black text right. over top of it well this is flipped and it's called dark docs you can get it on the chrome store We'll put the link there. I'm going to keep it pretty uh, short, sweet, and simple because it's going to save your battery. Some people say it's easier on the eyes. It's a preference thing. And uh, if a kid comes up to you and says, hey, I only have 13% left on my Chromebook, tell them no sweat, get the dark docs extension, and that 13% will allow them to go for at least an hour to get them through your class. That's pretty cool. What's the purpose of this thing again, though? I don't really get it. It just makes the... Is it just because you want to see it black? Well, I think more it's uh, the whole power saving issue. If you have a student that constantly can't turn their uh, Chromebooks on because they don't have enough battery, this will allow you to operate your Chromebook on a lot less battery. So it uses less power because it doesn't have to create all that bright white light. I guess. Correct. This reminds me of uh, years ago, there was a thing... I guess it still exists. Yeah, it does. I'm looking at it now. It's called, it's a Google search. You know, when you go to search uh, on Google, it's just a big, bright, white screen. There's a thing called Blackle, B-L-A, 
C-K-L-E, blackgold.com. And it uses the Google search engine. It is Google, but it's just a black screen with white text. And the whole, they actually log on blackgold.com how many uh, kilowatt hours have been saved in energy. And the current count, it's going up as I'm looking at it, is 7 billion watt hours saved from people using Blackle instead of Google. That's kind of cool, but uh, it's not a Google extension. Right. No, yeah, I'm not arguing for Blackle. I'm just saying that's what it reminds me of. That's pretty good, though, I guess, except it doesn't really do that much. It's a functionality thing. It is a functionality thing. All right, tough guy. (laughs) All right, so my extension that I want to feature is pretty new. It's one of my favorites. I'm pretty excited about using it. It's called Pablo. Just like any Google extension, you can download it from the Chrome store. Super easy, one click. Um, it does add the little a little button to the browser screen, just like any extension, but that's not where the functionality of Pablo comes in. Here's what Pablo is all about. Say you're on a web page right now. I'm looking at an article on ScienceDaily.com about uh, unique skeletal stem cells found in certain uh, animal systems, and there's a pretty cool picture. As a science teacher, maybe I want to share this picture out uh, for the people that follow me or maybe just my class. If you have a class account set up that you expect your kids to follow or maybe just in your personal life, you see something cool um, and you want to share that out or push it out. Pablo makes that really easy. The way it works is within the browser, when you hover the mouse cursor over an image, when you have the Pablo extension, there'll be a little button in the bottom right-hand corner of the picture that says Pablo. And when you click it, it automatically copies and pastes and saves that image into your Pablo account. And it opens up a new tab. And in that new tab, you'll see the image that you just clicked and saved. And it automatically has a text box on top of it for you to type in and add whatever text you want. So if I want to share this with my class and I want it to be a learning experience for them, maybe something that relates to what we're covering in class, I can type whatever I want them to read. And then from there, once you've got the text edited, you can adjust with some filters, the light contrast. You can add like a little caption beneath it, all kinds of cool stuff. It even has built-in quotes that you can add. I'm not sure how that would relate as a teacher, but uh, you can insert other graphics that Pablo has. There's also a bunch of stock images, but I think the best part of Pablo is that you can do this with any image that you find on any website. Uh, Anyways, once you edit it all up and it looks just like you want, there's just a button down the bottom that says share and download where it automatically gets pushed to any of your social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also download it and save a copy if you want. But I think the cool part is just how quick and easy it makes sharing these things out to your class. So that's Pablo. I think it's really awesome. And I'm just going to say from the get-go here, I, I think for sure mine is more useful in terms of like education stuff like teaching it is cool to be able to make uh, the screen black and save some energy i'm all for that but i think if we're going educational value pablo probably has you beat i will just say this i would like you to come into the media center for one day and count the number of chromebooks that come in with uh that they're i'm i'm doing air quotes right now broken right and that really it's just a whole uh battery not being charged And I think it could help the masses of people out there. But I will tell you this. I will give you this one because I could see how many times in a day that I would use this. You were talking what would they do with quotes. I mean, I had a teacher that 
came up here and printed out a whole bunch of pictures with quotes on them because they like to do a quote a day with their students. It's like a motivational quote type sure. thing. So I could see where that could come in handy with that teacher, and I will make sure that I uh, share that extension with them. Yep, this is your, your built-in quote of the day. There's a ton of stuff you could do with Pablo. So both these things are pretty cool, but it sounds like I've got the win with this particular battle. So stay tuned for my victory speech. Whether you're capturing and sharing images with Pablo or helping save power and battery life with Black Docs, I'm reminded of a quote by Christian Lang. Technology is a useful servant, but a dangerous master. Earlier, we highlighted the power of technology and its benefits, but we're also careful to mention that its use must be tempered. As an educator, why incorporate technology just to use it? If it doesn't enhance your lessons and add something that wasn't possible before, perhaps it's simply better to stick with what works. More importantly, thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at we got tech or follow along on our website gottech.com also check out my pal chris cantwell's podcast educantwell on itunes until next time